0: The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647-US12-WEST in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Fathers, we acknowledge that the battle is real. Would you equip us today for that battle as we look at your word, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Okay, the battle of Jericho, finally, finally. How can you t- start a new series on Joshua, the first of the year, and not get to the battle of Jericho until, when is this? Almost the end of February. We're getting there. But I've been having such a good time. We talked about the whole idea of the way God divided up and assigned, you know, the different responsibilities, how God got the, uh, challenged the people of Israel and said, hey, this is your battle, okay? This isn't... A spectator sport you got to get involved you got to plug in here I've loved that I loved when we stopped and looked at the story of Rahab and just the uh, the story of the reconnaissance mission into Jericho but well, we saw how God ch- used Rahab when we saw that powerful story of grace in there we saw uh, as we as we continued we saw the children of Israel cross through the Jordan saw the miraculous work of God there and then we saw them stop and consecrate themselves to the Lord and remember what God has done but well, we're getting ready here to, to jump into the battle. Are you ready? Before before we actually get into reading this for a second, I wanted to play, I guess we're going to, a little bit of sports trivia, okay? I, don't, I think you're going to have to be kind of old to do well with this, because uh, some of you remember, like uh, I do, the day when... Football wasn't king yet in America. Baseball was. Anybody remember those days? Those of you that are big Cubs fans, I'm talking Billy Williams and Ernie Banks and Fergie Jenkins and those names uh, from way back in that time. The other thing was another sport that really is not very big today but was used back then was boxing. Okay, I mean, everybody knew who the heavyweight champion of the world was. And some of you will remember names like, uh, of course, Muhammad Ali. I think everybody remembers that name. Uh, You might remember the name George Foreman. Uh, George, he had a nice grill and named all his kids George. Uh, uh, but uh, you met, you got George Fraser. Uh, you had uh, you go back before that. You got Sugar Ray Robinson. You got Sonny Liston. Some of these old names. And the uh, the lighter weight boxers had some great nicknames. You had Thomas the Hitman Hearns and Hector Macho Man Camacho. Uh, Hector the Macho Camacho, I think, is how he, he said it. And you had Sugar Ray Leonard and and some of these names that were so great. Uh, but I'm going to take you back to one particular fight. Now, the fights had some nice nicknames, too. Uh, Some of you might have heard of the Thriller Manila. Anybody remember the Thriller Manila? Okay, two of you good. Uh, I'm really bringing the crowd in with this. (laughs) Nobody knows what you're talking about. Uh, Then you got the Brawl in Montreal. That was a big one. And then there was one called the Rumble in the Jungle. Yeah, somebody remembers the rumble in the jungle. You're not you that old. Uh, but uh, anyway, there's a picture from the rumble in the jungle. Uh, the guy in the red shorts there is our grill guy. That's George Foreman. Uh, before he was making hamburgers and naming all his kids George, there he was fighting. And at this time in Muhammad Ali's career, he was getting just a little bit older, and they thought he was going to get killed by this foreman, this a hard-punching foreman. And uh, they said the only thing uh, Ali only has a chance is if he's still young enough to stay away from him. Some of you remember Ali's poem. He needed to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee because the guy can't hit what he can't see. And uh, so he would he would dance around and try to stay away from him. And that was the strategy that everybody said he had to employ. You had to stay away from this guy's punches. That's the only way you're going to win. However, Ali went against all the advice. In fact, he went against his own corner man. Some of you remember Angelo Dundee. He went against his advice. Uh, and he said, I'm going to fight this thing my way. Uh, we can still remember, those of us that are old, uh, his corner man screaming at him, no, you can't do that. Does anybody remember, here's the big trivia question, the strategy that Ali used in this fight? You got, you got it, Kenny? Rope-a-dope, that's right. He used the rope-a-dope strategy, which what that meant is what you see right there. Ali put himself against the ropes, and uh, basically for the first rounds, he just took Foreman's best shots and tried to cover up, and he let Foreman swing and himself and wear himself out so that then finally in the eighth round, eighth round Ali said, okay, he's done, uh, and he came off the ropes and knocked him out in the eighth round. Uh, And this fight is remembered not because even so much of who won or where it was, anything like that, but it is remembered for the how it was won. And that is why I chose this as an illustration at the beginning, because when we talk about the Battle of Jericho, that's what we're really going to focus on, is how it was won. How did God give the victory? We've said from the beginning, as we're talking about the book of Joshua, we're looking at what it is like to walk in victory, to live in victory, uh, to fight in victory. Well, how is that done? And as we look at the Battle of Jericho, we will see. Now, we're going to look, actually, before we jump into chapter 6, however, we're going to read a few verses here at the end of chapter 5. It says, When Joshua Joshua was by Jericho. Okay, get the picture here. Joshua's looking out at Jericho. Uh, We've just, actually, they've just uh, observed the the Passover, and he walks out and he takes a look at Jericho, uh, and he's just kind of assessing the situation. He lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, there was a man standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. His drawn sword in his hand. Okay, so obviously this is somebody who's ready for battle. The, the sword has been pulled out of the sheath. There, He's holding his sword. He's ready to fight. And Joshua went to him, and he said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And the man says uh, um, to him, No, I—okay, wait a minute. Are you for us? Or your adversaries? No. Okay, that's the answer. It's like, you know, I'll say to my wife, Are we, you want Chinese or Mexican today? No. Wrong question. I asked, obviously. Well, this is the wrong question. Now I have come, and jo- okay, wait a minute. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Okay, now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped him and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Uh, As you read through the different Bible commentators and everything like that, they debate a little bit about who this is. Was this an angel that met with Joshua? I'm going to go very strongly that it was not an angel uh, because if it had been an angel, he would not have allowed him. Anywhere in Scripture, an angel does not allow worship. So when Joshua falls down in worship, I think this is what is called a theophany, uh, an appearance of God to man. I think this is the Lord himself who appears before him. But I want to examine a little bit what took place here because Joshua, again, he says, are are you for me or against me? And I think we need to realize that was not the the right question at all. He was not asking the right question. Uh, He was thinking, is God on my side? And many times in life, that's exactly how we're approaching life. We're wondering, is God on my side? And that's not really the question we want to go with. The question that we want to go with is, am I on God's side? And there is a huge difference in that, okay? There's a big difference between uh, asking God, even in my prayer life all the time, to get on board with what I have planned and me getting on board with what He has planned. There's a big difference in that. And for most of us, our prayer life consists more of asking God to get on board with what I want to do. But God says, This is not your agenda. This is mine. This is not your invasion. This is mine. This is not your battle plan. This is mine. So I want you to to get on board. You know, we. uh I don't know if anybody has noticed this. If you come from uh, this side of the building over here, have you noticed those pine trees or whatever they are, that they've just freaked out on us. I don't know what's going on. I think they're trying to spell something. I'm not sure what they're trying to do. they got weird limbs going all over the place. Uh, If you come in from the other way, you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you come in from this way, they are weird looking. You might want to just ride down the road just to check them out, and it didn't happen during an ice storm. It actually happened before that. I think it's aliens trying to spell us a message. No, I don't really think that. Uh, There's something weird going on out there, but, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we do with this? Well, a couple people said to me this week, hey, have you talked to Chris, Chris Thomas? Chris Thomas is at our church. He's an arborist. Okay, that makes sense, right? He's an arborist. He'd be the person to talk to. You know, I would have gone out there and tried to spell Jesus with the, with the branches or something like that. But uh, you talk to somebody who knows what they're doing. You trust in them. How much sense does it make for us to go through life constantly telling God how things ought to be? It really doesn't, does it? Uh, that, verse, that song we sang again, that authority, his, his word, that who, he who is in charge. But so often we want to tell him how to do things. God, you're not doing things the right way. So I think what Joshua learned here is it is far more important that he figure out uh, w- the direction that God wants to go than that he tell God the direction that God should go. Does that make any sense there? Instead of getting God on board with my plans, I want to get on board with God's. After all, the Bible does say in First John chapter five verse fourteen, anything. I'm sorry, ask anything and it'll be done. Anybody know that verse? I just misquoted it terribly. Ask anything, and it'll be done. There's four words in the middle. According to my will. Okay, and when Jesus taught people to pray, uh, one, it, it closes with, thy will be done. And, and that's where we want to be is following what um God has in mind, and God is described in here. Uh, he, he says, I'm the commander of the heavenly host. Now, I'm going to talk weird. Some of you are going to think weird for just a second here because uh, I'm going to talk about a spiritual battle that's going on. You know, wait a minute, Pastor, do you actually believe like like there's forces of evil and there's forces of good going on some type of battle? I mean, that's kind of whack. Yes, I actually believe that. In fact, I believe it's strong enough to say it, even though some of you might be thinking this guy's whacked out of his mind to think that. But I think that's what the Bible teaches us. In other words, are, are you seeing things... I'm seeing that uh, you know sometimes when I'm looking at people and saying, "Man, there's just evil going on there." Then the spirit of evil, and there are spirits, and there are uh, that are impacting their lives and directing them. I'm seeing a spirit of evil that attacks our marriages and attacks our children. I'm seeing that. I think that is very that is very real, and I think we need to realize that we want to be on the side of the Lord of Hosts, the one who commands that battle, if you will, because all of us face that battle. And I don't think we realize it and we recognize it near enough. And I'm sorry if I'm sounding like a nut job. No, I'm not really, because I, I prayed about it a lot, and I thought this is something that I, I have to say. This is real. Again, I believe it strong, strongly enough to say it, that we need to understand that there is a war that, ra- that wa- rage- wages. And uh, when I fight, then, therefore, does it not make sense that when I fight, I fight on my knees. Does that not, not make sense? Shouldn't that be a priority uh, in my life? That I, um... Some of you might remember this quote. There was a, um, it swept through a lot of churches about 20, 25 years ago, but some of you are going to remember this. There was a study called Experiencing God. I think uh, I know they did it here because I found the books in the attic Uh, so I know they did it here at one point I remember my wife did a study with a couple of different ladies but I remember a quote from that that said this stop asking God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God is blessing let me say that again stop asking God to bless what you are doing and start doing what God is blessing um you know, I don't wanna be just like oh okay, um slip shot about my preparation for a Sunday or and I don't wanna be just like, okay, what, whatever it doesn't matter. You know, I I wanna be well prepared and think through and I practice what I'm gonna say and everything like that. But I don't know how to say this. I also wanna be very open to the Spirit of God. And um yesterday, uh when we were at Upward, uh Kelly uh was there, to, uh, ref, refing with us, and uh, he asked me a question. He said, Hey, have you heard or ha- have you heard anything about what's going on at Asbury? Now, I don't know if any of you have heard any of this. Again, I might be talking about something you don't know, but uh, there's been some things in the news about a uh, Christian college in Kentucky at Asbury, and they started off having a prayer and praise meeting, I think that has stayed going. And uh, what, and I, I, I'd heard a little bit, but I didn't really check into it or anything like that, so I didn't know much. But Kelly said a phrase that that stuck in my mind. He said, "People are coming from everywhere uh, to be part of this." So, that that actually, I went out to my car and I got on my phone. I didn't have any reception. T-Mobile, anyway. Uh, but uh, but I didn't have any reception sitting in the parking lot. So and, and I kind of forgot about what you know what I was doing there. And I I looked again this morning and I and. Uh, you know, just to see, hey, what's going on, to try to find a couple things, and I didn't have time to really research into it or anything like that, but I heard, you know, one young man say he'd come from Florida, and, and he said, you know, I've been seeking the Lord as to what he'd have me to do in planning a church, and I wanted to come and and, uh, and kind of see what God was doing here, and then I heard another interview with a young man, I'm going to guess early 30s, but uh, he said, I, I uh, I kind of came to disprove what was going on here. I figure this is just some emotional thing with some kids uh, getting together and getting excited and joining singing and maybe they're trying to get out of finals. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but he said he came very skeptical and he came in. and He said he was very surprised. He said what I saw was not a show. He said it was not a you know a light show and a fog show and a, uh, everything like that. It was just a. a I think he said there's a piano, a guitar, and one of those little boxes you bang and uh and say, and people just were worshiping and it was spreading and people things like that now i want to say i don't know um obviously talking to you now this is just something that uh, i i have interjected into the sermon today as i think about it i don't know exactly what's going on there but he said something at the end of his statement that i loved because he said i came very skeptical but he said i'll tell you one thing for sure he said if this is a spark of revival that God is sending the last thing I want to do is come with a bucket of water he said I want to gather up some kindling and bringing in stuff like that. And, you know, I, I thought that, you know, so much, you know, when I think about that, you, you know, that, that phrase, you know, we want to we want to figure out what, we don't want to be a God, here's what I'm going to do, would you bless it? We want to say, God, what do you want to do, and what are you doing, and what are you blessing, and I want to get involved in that. And I thought about these folks coming together and saying, hey, if this is where God's moving, and this is what God's doing, I want to connect with this. But folks, I, I hope we'll, we'll catch that spirit I hope we'll catch the spirit that says, you know, this isn't about me telling God everything I'm going to do and saying, God, you need to bless what I'm going to do. But it is about me figuring out where He wants to work. And it's not up to me to tell Him what to do and who to use and where to send revival. I don't get to do that. Okay? God, first great awakening, I think, was largely the uh, uh, Calvinists. Second great awakening, largely the Methodists. Okay? God, God's going to use who he is going to use, and I don't think I get to uh, tell him, now, God, this isn't really how we had this plan. This isn't exactly what we thought would happen. I'm not sure that Christianity is a great fit for control freaks. I, I really don't, you know, because we get, you know, this model, and even today, you know, in building churches, there are models like, okay, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this stuff, like this. You know, sometimes I'm kind of like, you know, if that's really what's going to build a church, I don't even want to be part of it. I want something supernatural to happen. I want God's spirit to move powerfully in people's lives. I don't want to just have the right, you know, musical format uh, or the right style of preaching or the. you like my new sport coat? The right sport coat. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, I don't want church to be about if that's what it is what are we doing Uh, that's kind of the, the thought that came to me you know if this isn't something that is a supernatural working of God if we're not asking God for that if we're not fighting this battle on our knees you know are we going through the motions ask me how the church is doing it's doing fine thank you it really is we're doing pretty you know pretty good about things it's doing fine is that really good enough I mean is that what we want yeah we're fine Okay, let's keep going. It's all good. I when I again when I laid out this sermon, that was a very brief point, and uh, I, I feel like God has had me you know racing and thinking about it just a little bit more today. Uh, you know that that idea. Let's go in and talk about the actual battle plan because that's very important to add in here now what God told him to do. So we're going to jump in now to chapter 6 and begin reading a little bit through this. Now, Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, now look at this phrase, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Very important uh, idea there because that's why we talk about the fact that we are fighting in victory, not for victory. Okay, the first line of the uh, song we just sang kind of captured that that again, that idea that the, the victory is yours. Okay, we already know that's yours, and God says, "I have given you this victory." With his king and mighty valor, you shall march around the city, and all the men of war going around the city once, then you shall do this for six days. And some of you might be familiar with this strategy. Very interesting. You're going to march around a city. A city that had a double layer of walls, probably 15 foot uh, thick, and then a 10 foot, uh, 15 foot break, and then another 10 foot wall. A city that probably encompassed about nine or 10 acres, so it was not all that huge. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. and On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make a loud blast of uh, the horn, then you will hear the sound of the trumpet. Then all the people shall shout with great joy, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of God. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, following them. And the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, Ye shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word come out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. So they're walking around daily in silence. Then you shall shout. So he called the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about at once And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. And Joshua rose up early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on. And they blew the trumpets of the Lord continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, and while the trumpets blew continually, and on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and so they did for six days. And on the seventh day they rose up early as it was dawn, they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and at the seventh time, When the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to them, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Let me just interject one thing here real quickly with that. This was not, the on every victory they had, it was not all devoted for destruction. They weren't to destroy everything. But the first city, Jericho, was to be given completely to the Lord. Okay, now afterwards, they took some of the spoils of war. This, they were not supposed to take anything. That's going to come up in our next story. But they were not supposed to take anything because this is the principle of the first fruits. Um, if I am, were to teach you about your giving and your money management, the one thing that I would definitely say the Bible teaches very plainly is you start with God. I'll just say that. That's where I think at the top of your list, as far as your budget goes, uh, should be God. Because he hid the messengers, I'm sorry, then only Rahab the prostitute and all that were with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom he sent. But you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them, uh, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. Okay, that's that command. You don't take anything here or there will be trouble. But all the silver, the gold, and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go to his treasury. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great uh, great shout. The walls fell down, so the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men, women, young, and stuff like that. It goes on, and it uh, tells the story of how they saved Rahab's family, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, how that was promised. But as we look at this story, as we look at the battle plan, I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about the the idea of walking and the idea of waiting. When I say walking, what I'm talking about is that idea of getting moving. At the beginning of our story of Joshua, they were to, uh, God was going to give them everywhere where their feet trod. They were to walk. They were to possess the land. They were to step into the Jordan. And now they are to march. They are to show up in March. God has said the victory is yours. Your job is show up in March. I have already given you this check. Uh, it's made out to you. All you got to do is endorse the check here. Show up in March. You need to obey in faith. You need to follow what He has told you to do. How many times in life does do the commands of God seem like they're going to make us look silly? This one would. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty here uh, with the passage that because a guy named Charles Spurgeon did, and he's a real famous preacher. I figure I, I'm going to repeat what he said, but he, he was talking. He said, can you imagine how the people inside Jericho, what they were thinking as this group would come out once a day and march around? I mean, the first day, it's like, okay, now what's coming? <laughs> and then they do it again the second day. I think we can imagine that there was some jeering going on, like, okay, good. Keep marching around here, that's great. They don't even talk, they don't say anything. They're just marching around here, that, that's all they're doing. They had to have been walking, and I also have to believe that the people of Israel, based on their history, there were some of them going, what in the world are we doing? Uh, there was definitely, as far as a battle plan goes, there was definitely something that would cause us to look silly, and sometimes following God causes us to look silly. Again, I'm going to talk to you just uh, just very... Uh, openly here for a second. We've had a ministry here for uh, the first seven years I was here, I think called Release Time Bible Class, where we were allowed to go into the high schools and the, and the other schools and bring students out for a Bible class once a month. Now, it died with COVID. I did want to mention to you, just as a matter of prayer, that's something that maybe we may be able to revive, uh, even with the help and cooperation of, of another church or at least one other, ch- other church. We may be able to bring that back. But I want to tell you something about those Bible classes. We would go over to Eagle Lake, the uh, little school, and we would fill up two buses. And when I say fill up two buses, we'd fill up two buses. We would go to the uh, primary building, and we would fill up a bus. We would go to the junior high, and we would fill up a bus. We'd go to the intermediate, we'd fill up a bus. And then we'd go to the high school, okay? and i think we might have had a record day in my seven years here of about 25 people i think so but normally there was more like a dozen to 15 is how it ran like that now this isn't me being preachy it it really isn't it's just kind of observing the situation but i found that as the kids got older you didn't look too cool getting on the bible club bus and and i i'm not saying young people actually there's nobody in here since we haven't had it for a couple years that would have been like i ain't going to that because i look silly but uh but i Are you understanding what I'm saying? I think for them, it was hard to do that. And I realize, folks, I live in a very Christian world. I am a professional Christian, okay? I mean, there are a lot of things that that I'm expected to do uh, because you're the pastor or whatever like that. And I realize this is easy for me to talk about because I don't live in all of your worlds. But I do have to tell you, there are some times in this world where God might ask you to do something that you're going to look a little silly If that isn't the case with Jericho, I don't know what else is. I mean, they're marching around day after day. What is it that God has called you to do in obedience to Him and trusting Him? You see, this walk in victory is a walk of faith. It means I trust Him that even when I don't understand what He's doing, I am still going to obey Him. I don't think it really particularly makes sense that I'm going to uh, uh, pray for my enemies. But that's what he's told me to do. I don't know that uh, forgiving this person who haven't, hasn't even asked forgiveness is on my list of things that I think make sense, but that's what he's asked me to do. Uh, what is it that God has called us to do, but we're kind of we a little afraid to do it? Uh, the walking in victory is going to be a walking in obedience. We are going to trust and obey. And that second word on there, that waiting idea, again, put yourself in the place of these Israelites uh, they've been wandering in the wilderness. Finally, they cross, and and uh, God says, hey, before you go to battle, we're going to remember last week we talked about we're going to circumcise you. Uh, we're going to disable our army for a few days uh, before we do that, and now let's charge that. No, let's march around. How about tomorrow? No, march around again. How about tomorrow? March around again. And And What is it in our life that is a place of obedience that we're trying to follow God and we're we're walking, we're doing what he has said, but maybe the jeers are coming. And the truth is, we know that God has given us a promise, but that promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. Don't you wish that God's promises had a tracking system? Don't you wish you could go online and say, hey, wait, where is it now? When is it coming? And you knew exactly where it was. And that's not, that, that's not how it works. God asks us to trust him and continue to obey him even, though we don't, even when we don't know exactly when his promise is going to be fulfilled. He still calls us to trust and obey, believing that those walls are going to fall. Let me go to one other phrase that I saw in this passage. God wants us to be a telescope Christian. When you think about what a telescope does, we say, well, it makes something bigger. No, it doesn't make something bigger. It makes something look bigger. And uh, I think God has called us to magnify him, not in the sense that we make him bigger. That's impossible to do. He's infinite. But that we make him, if you want to say, look bigger. I was going to ask this. I don't know if anybody else does this. or if This is totally seen now, old man. Does anybody else, sometimes you're reading something and you put your fingers on it and you spread them out and you expect it to get bigger? Does anybody else do that? I do that all the time. Like, I'm looking at a magazine. I'm like, I can't see that. That didn't work. <laughs> um, nobody else? You're all just looking at me like, <laughs> it's just see now, old man. I, I don't know, but I'll do that sometimes. I say, hey, got to make that bigger. Uh, it doesn't quite work there. Well, uh, we are not going to make something bigger, but we are going to uh, understand why is it that God gave this weird strategy? I mean, really. March around in silence. Six days what's the deal? I mean, God does this all the time. Why did God pick a shepherd boy? Tell him to pick up five rocks with a slingshot, and he only actually uses his one. I mean, there's got to be better ways to defeat Goliath. Why do you tell Naaman, hey, go dip in the muddy river over there. That's how I'm going to heal your leprosy. I mean, why does God pick, if you want to say strange tactics like that? There is a reason, and the reason is that God would receive all the glory in other words, and listen to this statement. I don't, I don't think this is out of line. It's going to sound a little bad when I first say it. Our God is a glory hound. He is. All the glory is to go to him. John Piper said that he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Theologians over the years have put together what they call a catechism, and step number one is to understand that the purpose of man is to glorify God. The New Testament writer uh, in both Colossians and, and Corinthians made it very clear that we are to do all to His glory. We are to trust and obey. Now, I do want to say something like that. We are to, uh, our lives, are our marriages, our child-rearing, the way we work, the way we run our businesses, everything like that should be pointing people to Christ and His glory. Everything should be like that. We are, and use this phrase, and then I want to back up, we're to make him look good, point people. However, I want to be very careful about that because sometimes we get trapped in that idea that somehow I need to make God look good, therefore I need to hide my mistakes. Have you ever wondered why sometimes pastors, you know, all of a sudden you find out, ah, it seems like they have a double life, you know, because, uh, you know, we thought they were really... uh, uh, you know, a good person, and then we find out they had this secret life. Here's what happens sometimes. I'm, I'm going to tell you. What pastors do is they think, you know, and, and it's, it comes from a good place in, in a way because they say, hey, you know what? I can't let anybody know about this thing I'm struggling with because it will make God look bad. I'm not talking about that. Okay, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. I'm not talking about hiding things to make God look good. In fact, when we trust Him, when we rely upon His grace, when we find that strength in Him, even in our failure, that's going to glorify Him. But I am saying this has to be the center of our life is to focus on Him. And I want to read another passage with you for a second uh, from the book of First Corinthians in chapter 1, because when you think about the idea of God doing things differently, God doing things uh, the way uh, that might call us to look silly as we follow Him, there is nothing that is considered more silly in the world than God's plan of salvation. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jew and Greek, they're demanding signs. They seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and a folly to the Gentiles. If you say, hey, wait a minute, um, you know, Pastor, you're talking about, you know, these strange battle plans and everything like that, and God calling us, to, you know, that, that maybe we're going to look silly, listen right away. Oh, by the way, this passage is kind of interesting. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and that, in, in chapter 1, he addresses division. Uh, he says, you guys are fighting about this, and you're fighting about that, and, and you're divided, and you can't come together. And then he starts, and he says, for, the, the, it says it there. It also says in the first verse, I started it with, for, because here's why I don't want you fighting. You got enough that's going to turn people against you, to be honest with you. you. You've got enough. You have the gospel. And some people are going to think, oh, you stupid little Christian that, uh, you know, you don't have an answer for everything, and uh, so therefore you're just going to say, oh, it's God, and, and God is infinite, and stuff like that and you ought to be wise like we are and make up our theories and teach those as facts and then later on change them when the theory doesn't work out. That's how smart you ought to be because man can solve all the problems and man have all the answers and you stupid little redneck Christians go back to your hillbilly life, you're following God and everything like that and you see how sometimes we're painted as fools in that way and I want to say, hey, so be it, so be it. If I am considered a fool for proclaiming God's plan of salvation, so be it. If I am uh, Considered a fool for trusting in God, so be it. Um, okay, um, David and and uh, Peggy and and Patience, if you can make your way back up here, I appreciate it. We, we're going to sing again. Um, we're going to sing that song again. We're going to we're going to sing when I fight, I fight on my knees. Um, <laughs> Folks, I, I hope you know that, I, I mean, I am convinced that uh, doctrine, theology is so crucial. I mean, you cannot veer away from it. it. It has to be in teaching and stuff like that. We also can't ignore this the power of God. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to say that. And very, very simply, I cannot produce that. It, it, that's dumb to say. I, I realize that. But, you know, I can't manufacture that. Every week there is a desire in me to do that. Do you, you know what I mean? Uh, but all I could ever do is produce an emotional experience. Okay, that's that's the only thing within my power. But except the Spirit of God move powerfully, uh, you know, then you know that that's not going to happen. My prayer, and and this has just been heavy on my heart. Really going back to last fall when we talked about starting to go through Joshua. <laughs> My prayer is just that I am not satisfied with the status quo. Okay. I, I think it hit me one day because somebody asked me, hey, how's church going? And my answer was eh, pretty good. You know, it is. It's pretty good. I mean, you know, I, I enjoy coming. We have a good time worshiping. I think, you know, we're seeing God do some things and, and uh, you know, maybe not as much as we like, but we're seeing some things. Uh, offerings have been sold and, and good like that. And, and, uh, and it, it's like I hate giving that answer it's kind of like okay fine i think we really want to get to the place where we realize hey fine isn't good enough fine isn't good enough uh there there's there's too much going on folks this world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ so much our country needs the gospel of Jesus Christ our families our marriages our kids so much need that we got to get fighting and since it is a spiritual battle we need to fight on our knees um I, again i i don't want to i don't want to be showy we're going to sing at the end i don't want to be showy but i do want to open up to whatever you feel like however god wants to use this time in your life uh maybe it is to stand quietly and pray and cast a battle or give a battle over to god that you're fighting maybe it is uh, you know we sing i'm going to fight on my knees uh I guess is is metaphorical. A lot of times we might be praying while we're walking or whatever like that. But maybe you want to make the chair where you are an altar and turn around and pray uh, on your knees. Maybe you want to come to the altar here and pray as as we sing this. I don't. Re- <laughs> I told them where I I don't want want to. I don't know if it'll make any sense. I, I, I uh, You know, we have this format. Okay, here's a, we sing a couple songs. We do announcements. We sing a couple songs. We, we preach. And, hey, I think I always want to make sure that we're in the Word of God and we're focused on that and everything like that. But I also just want to say, God, something supernatural has to happen in our lives. You know, it is, we are so prone to just go through the motions. And if that's all we're going to do, yeah you know what I'm saying I I, I don't know so I want to encourage you just to pray uh, you know God is there something specifically today is there a battle I need to lay before you is there an area where you have called me to follow you and I didn't want to look silly following you so I wasn't going to do it and I want to step out in faith and follow you in that way I don't know what God brought you here for today but I know that he has a purpose So, we're going to trust in that. So, we're going to stand together and sing, and and I want you just to be open to what what He's brought you here for this day. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-663. 2648. Thank you for listening.